Hi, and welcome to the Homeschool Snapshots podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and this is the podcast that gives you a peek into the lives of the homeschoolers next door. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of the Homeschool Snapshot podcast. I'm Pam Barnhill, your host, and I'm happy to have you here with me today. Well, we are moving right along with our school year here as we head into the fall, and I wanted to tell you about something new that we have going on at edsnapshots.com. We have a brand new podcast called Your Morning Basket. Now, Your Morning Basket is all about the practice of morning time. Morning time might also be called circle time, and some people have some fancier names for it as well, and other people just call it their morning basket, which is where the name of the podcast came about. We do morning time in our homeschool every day, and it's the time of day in our homeschool where we focus on truth, goodness, and beauty by doing the three R's. These are recitation, ritual, and reading aloud. And it's a simple practice where your entire family can come learn together, do things like composer study, picture study, art, memorization, those kinds of things that might otherwise kind of get lost between the cracks of your homeschool day. So it's a wonderful practice. Now, if it's something that you're not familiar with, the very first episode of Your Morning Basket is an interview with Cindy Rollins, who has been doing morning time at her home for 27 years. So it's a really great introduction to the practice. You can find out more about that podcast by going to yourmorningbasket.com. And you can also find it in Stitcher and in iTunes as well. Now, today on the Homeschool Snapshots podcast, we have a wonderful interview with Carol Joy Side. A listener actually requested that we interview Carol Joy, and it was a request that I was more than happy to do because I was looking forward to talking to her. I had heard some wonderful things about her. It's a great conversation. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And so let's get on with the program. Carol Joy Side holds a master's degree in education and is a homeschool consultant. And she speaks traveling around the country, talking to homeschool families about literature-based homeschooling. She homeschooled her son for his entire school career before sending him off to earn his own master's degree. Carol believes that the homeschooling experience should be simple, enjoyable, affordable, and built around great books. She has a new DVD series from Compass Media called Homeschool Made Simple that helps moms do exactly that. Carol, welcome to the program. Oh, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm just so happy you're here with us. Could you tell us a little bit about your family? Sure. Well, we were only blessed with one son. We, <laughs> we say he was more fun than five children, which he was. And we homeschooled, you know, back in the dark ages, Pam, when no one had ever heard of this before. And it was interesting. I like to say that I would lay awake at night in bed worrying about the paddy wagon coming to take us away. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's so fun now as our son has three of his own small children, and they're starting the homeschool journey. And just seeing the difference in the climate, the culture, the times. And also, you know, as a lot of grandparents will tell you, having grandchildren really, you lighten up, you free up. I think when we started homeschooling, it was so radical. It was so countercultural. 
And now I think we can just enjoy homeschooling, not that we ever take our legal rights for granted in America, but there is a freedom and I'm seeing it now as I'm going around the second time being a grandma. Nice. Well, how did you get started homeschooling your son? Well, we were living in Nashville, Tennessee, and I was driving down the country road there, Highway 100, out from where we live, and I was listening to, quote, my Christian programs, as I called them, and one of them was a new program that had just come on the air, Focus on the Family, and uh, Dr. Dobson had this gentleman on who, he was an older man, and Dr. Jobs, Dobson was just ooing and eyeing over him, and oh, I've longed for this, and oh, what an honor, what a privilege. I'm thinking, I've never heard of this man. Who is he? So he comes on, and he's recommending that people keep their children home from school till they're nine years old, and that they don't teach them to read till they're seven. And Pam, I almost drove off the road and hit a tree when I heard this program. I was so upset because I taught very high-powered private and Christian schools where we taught kids to read and write and do arithmetic at two and three. And this man was really rocking my boat. And so we moved back to California. And while we were in California, a friend of mine had this crazy man's book on her bookshelf. And I asked her who he was. She didn't really know. She didn't even know where she got the book. I borrowed it. And that was the beginning of my journey. One day, our son had just turned three, was taking a nap. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to read this book to disprove it. And in reading, it was called, which one was it? Now, Homegrown Kid by Dr. Raymond Moore. I opened it in the middle and I read it all the way to the end during his nap. And when I closed the book, I knew I had to do this, but I'd never heard of it before. It was so radical. And you can imagine telling the grand, you know, the parents at, you know, Thanksgiving dinners and, oh my word. But we started this journey and we went to go hear Dr. Moore. That's what we would do. We'd go to the seminars. We'd drive wherever they were. Susan Schaefer Macaulay's book came out a few mm-hmm. years later, and we drove up to San Luis Obispo. Susan had come to do a seminar in California, and we just were learning as we were going. We'd never met another homeschool family before. We didn't have any teenagers to interview <laughs> that had already done this. We were really and truly inventing this as we went, and it was kind of a, a wild ride, but it, it was blessed. It was great. So you really, you really stepped out in faith because, oh, yeah. I mean, you weren't even in a situation where you had a child in school who was struggling or anything like that. Wow. You started from the very beginning, stepping out yeah. in faith on this journey. Yeah, our son was three and we read voluminously. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word. <laughs> we read a lot to him from the day practically he was born and So that was so much a part of our philosophy and of our lifestyle. But I always thought that he would go to school and, you know, read at three and drive at five. And, you know, I had my whole plan laid out because I was coming out of the philosophy, which I had been taught in graduate school, that earlier is better, earlier is better, in utero flashcards, get them while they're young. And so reading and, of course, sitting under Raymond and Dorothy Moore and the things that they taught us, which was research based. Everything was studies that had been done all over the world showing that early childhood education was not beneficial. And we were just sitting there, their eyes like saucers, you know, because it was so countercultural, all the things that we were being taught. And we were afraid to let our kids play outside during the day. We were afraid someone would call the police. I mean, it was was such a different world back then, but it, it was great. We learned a lot. 
<laughs> oh, I bet you did. And it was a different world because, you know, now we have this abundance. Sometimes I feel like yeah. it's an overabundance yes. <laughs> of um, materials and resources available to us. But you didn't have that when you started. Oh, no, ma'am. We were inventing, you know, so th- what what actually happened, Pam, is I started to create a curriculum. We would buy things and there were some things available and I just hated them. I'd come home, I'd spend all this money. My husband would say, are you sure we need that? Oh, absolutely. Got to have that. And then two weeks in, I hated it. And then I'd go back and buy something else and buy something else. And finally, I just thought, I'm going to create my own. And that's what I started to do. And started teaching Western civilization, using, you know, living books and starting at Genesis and going through it multiple times. And then ancient Egypt, ancient Greece, ancient Rome, Middle Ages, the Renaissance, the Reformation, and going to the library and and finding all these books and these authors. And we lived down at the beach in this little beach town called Huntington Beach. And we had a little tiny library down there. And there was one hobo and myself that would go into the library every day. And he would go in to read the newspaper. He had this really long beard, like down his chest, and he'd have a fishing pole in his backpack, and he'd hang it on the seat, and he would read the newspaper, and then there I'd be. And I would be climbing through, you know, the the books, and I'd look for the old, shabby, green books that you couldn't really read the title on, and I'd figure, okay, these are books that have stood the test of time. And I would pull them out, and I would discover these authors, like Ingrid and Edgar Perandolaire. I'd never heard of them before. No one knew about them, but I'm pulling them off the shelf going, I love these people. And on and on it went where I was just, you know, finding our way. And it, it was a lot of fun. And the library, thankfully, had no money, so they didn't discard their old books. So, you know, it's so funny when you go to these prosperous, shiny new libraries, what's missing? All the old books are what's mm-hmm. missing. Yeah, it's sometimes very hard to find those old treasures in yes, some of these is. newer libraries. Well, thinking back on your homeschooling, I have a multiple choice question for you. Your homeschool day was most like which literary classic? Would it have been A, Persuasion, B, Plato's Dialogues, C, War of the Worlds, or D, Shakespeare's Comedy of Errors? (laughs) I would say, was B, Plato? Yes, B was Plato. Oh, yeah. I would say Plato. Our son was... (laughs) <laughs> and he has a child just like this. He argued about everything. I don't mean arguing like in a rude way, but he was very, <laughs> he wanted to dialogue a lot. And so there was a lot of talking and discussion and questions and why this, why that. So there was a lot of that, a lot of reading and a lot of dialoguing. Well, what was one piece of advice you wish you could have received as a new homeschool mom? Well, probably the the most cliched, but still so true, is to savor those golden days, which become years, and not be looking over your shoulder, worrying about, you know, what college they're getting into or what standardized tests they're going to have to take and all this nonsense, but instead really focusing on godly character and academic excellence that comes out of great books. And when you do those two things, you get the other things. You get the great scores on standardized tests because you're reading great books and your children are spending their days with great minds. I mean, a child who grows up reading Solzhenitsyn and Dickens and Jane Austen and Elizabeth Gaskell, 
is going to be a genius when it comes to standardized testing because all it is is a reading test and your children are readers. And so instead of worrying about those things, savoring the days that you have with them and not living in fear because the fear of man is a snare, but doing what you really believe you're called to by God, giving it your all, and then seeing the fruit, you know, come forth. Well, as you're working with all of these families and, you know, thinking back on your own days of homeschooling your own son, what are some of the most important skills you think that children should learn as they grow up and leave home? Well, I have to flash back to the things that Raymond and Dorothy Moore taught us in that early generation, and that was life skills. He would say to us, your children need to know how to balance a checkbook. They need to know how to keep their word, be on time. Um, He used to say that work is where character is built, that a child who knows how to work will teach themselves anything else they need to know. And he used to say, your boys need to know how to cook and garden and clean and bake, and your girls need to know how to change the oil on a car and, you know, take care of animals. So in other words, all the skills, not just the girls knowing one side, the boys knowing the other but that your children need to know all the life skills and that someday you're going to walk them down the aisle and you're going to look in their future or their you know, new spouse's eyes and say, I am giving you such a blessing instead of I'm giving you such a curse. This is someone who knows how to handle money, who knows how to delay gratification, who keeps their word, who doesn't think the world revolves around them. And these are the things that we teach our children at home So many families I work with are so worried about algebra or, you know, things like that. And those are important things, of course. But I have found that life skills and character building is absolutely the most important. And then your child will have a character to teach themselves the other things they need to know. Nice. Yeah. You know what? I've spoken to other homeschool moms who have children who are grown or just about grown. And that's something that I hear quite often from them is that spending the time on those character skills and those habits that you're building with your children is just important, if not more important than some of the academic things. That's it, exactly. And the academics do come, don't get me wrong. I mean, our children turn out beautifully and they're bright, but don't aim at the brightness, aim at the character and you'll get the rest for not to charge. (laughs) Well, do you have a favorite memory or aha moment from your homeschooling days when you were working with your son? I think just some of the fun memories. His best friend was our pastor's son, and they were like Jonathan and David. And I just remember so fondly because I always tell the families I work with, you don't have to entertain your children. You don't have to really play with your children. I mean, daddy can do that. Grandpa can do that. But as a mom who's with their children all day long, your job is kind of to wind the clock up and then let it go. So I immediately had a thought of, our son, JJ, and his best friend, Nathan, and how they would invent things. They would work in the wood shop and they would make, you know, wooden guitars or they would build forts or they would create these kingdom communities in their house with rocks and sand, like in their bedrooms. (laughs) And what I loved is that they were inventive. They knew how to entertain themselves. They were outdoors for hours and hours at a time and they'd come back bloody, sweaty, and dirty. That, to me, was precious. And then, of course, Daddy reading. That is just the most precious memory is all the books we read out loud and our son begging for one more chapter. And that I remember reading Susan Schaefer, I mean, um, Edith Schaefer, Susan's mom, Edith, 
saying that when she would come home from Switzerland on furlough as a missionary, she'd go visit her dad. He was in, I think, Northern California, and he was in his 90s, and he would still read to her. That that was, she all of her life, that was the thing that was kind of like the taproot of her life. And I think all the families that I work with, I just tell them, this is a hill to die on. Daddy, reading at night, that's the high point of the day. And your children will remember that if they don't remember anything else. Oh, that's great. Well, in your new um, DVD workshop from Compass Media, you teach moms how to implement literature-based learning. Can you tell us exactly what literature-based learning is? <laughs> I don't know if I can. <laughs> what exactly is it? Well, I guess, Pam, it using almost no textbooks. You know, basically you're using textbooks for things like math and high school science and probably foreign language. But when your children are growing up, it's more, obviously, you're going to use a, a curriculum product to teach them to read. But then once they know how to read, you're using living books as the core of your curriculum. So I tell families that you're going to homeschool with a Bible, a library card, and a math program when they're young. And then you're going to be basing your curriculum on nature and work, and you're studying history chronologically. So I have the families I, that I work with, I start them in American history when their children are young because it's Judeo-Christian, and we use something called Turning Back the Pages of Time, a little $5 booklet worth its weight in gold, and I just say the library is your curriculum, and you're going to be reading out loud 45 minutes to an hour a day, going through history, starting with Leif Erikson and Christopher Columbus and ending at World War II, and then when your family finishes that, it probably will take you about three years. Then you move into Western Civ, which I give the families handouts in my seminars, starting at Genesis, ending at the Reformation, the end of the Reformation, and again, using living books. And Susan Trey from Macaulay defined that as, those are books where your children beg for one more chapter. Mm -hmm. So not using textbooks, not using workbooks, but primarily it's a read aloud experience as you educate. And you know, Pam, this is as old as time. When you study the history of genius and, you know, the great people and how they're educated through history, they were educated on a steady diet of great books. That was, as a matter of fact, if you go to Oxford today or Cambridge, I lived in Oxford when I was in college for a year. What we would find is when we'd be talking to the cute boys there at Oxford that we would meet as college kids, we wouldn't say to them, what are you majoring in? Or what are you studying? That's what we would say if, you know, to an American, but that would give us away as a Yankee. We would say, what are you reading? Which is how you define what you're studying at Oxford or Cambridge. I'm reading history. I'm reading philosophy. I'm reading greats. And that is what they don't even say what they're saying. They just say, that's what I'm reading. Because reading is really the definition of all classical literature. Classical education, I mean, is reading. It's great books, a steady diet of great books. Why do you think that these great books are the best way to homeschool? Well, because it's the difference between eating at McDonald's or eating at Chez Panis in Berkeley. It's you're eating the real thing. You're not eating watered down, chewed up, dissected food, but you're basically eating food as in the rawest and simplest form you can eat. And when you're reading great books, you're spending time with great minds mm. and you just can't get more for your dollar than that. 
educationally, and it's all free in the public library. You know, Pam, a fun story when we were pretty young in the homeschool days, Dr. Moore told us about something that had just broken in the news back then. A young man in Southern California had just gotten a perfect score on his SAT, and they were kind of researching him and finding out, wow, how'd you do that? They found out that he and his mother had been homeless his whole childhood, his whole life. They were homeless. They lived in his mother's car. But living in Southern California, it gets hot. And so when it got hot, guess where they would go? To the library. That's right. Libraries have air conditioning, they have comfortable chairs, and they have really nice bathrooms. And he spent his childhood in the public libraries. And with no education, he was not homeschooled, quote, homeschooled. Do you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> he was just homeless, but he got a perfect score on his SAT because that is how to create a smart, and if you're reading the right book, godly child. Well, talk to me about some of those books. Could you give me just, you know, oh, three or four uh, books that you feel should be in every homeschool library? Mm, okay. Well, oh dear, three or four. You're that's like choosing between your children. Well, <laughs> normally I, I ask for one, but I was oh, pretty sure you, that you were not going to be able to do that. Thank you, thank you for the consideration on that. Well, I'd maybe start with the Oxcart Man by Donald Hall. I think every child needs to grow up with that book. I think children would love Crow Boy by Taro Yashima. Anything by Mender DeYoung, books like Shadrach, Far Out the Long Canal, Dirk's Dog Bellow. I think children would love Tales of the Kingdom and Tales of the Resistance by David and Karen Maines. Little children would love Ezra Jack Keats books like A Whistle for Willie, oh, Snowy great. Day, Peter's Chair, Prayer for a Child by Rachel Field. I think if my house were burning, that'd be one of the books I'd grab. Anything by Marguerite Angeli. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but yeah, that these are what this is what we do in my seminars. Of course, is we give book lists to the people who attend because I always say to people, now these lists are not exhaustive. If I gave you an exhaustive list, it would be as thick as the New York City phone book, and they all laugh because don't get me started, you know, giving you lists. But yeah, it's my passion. Well, you gave me a few that I have not heard of, so I'm going to have to go oh, look good. those up. So Wonderful. That's, that's great. Well, Good. you work with a lot of homeschool families across the country. Yeah. Based on your experience, what are some ways that you think homeschool moms make life more difficult for themselves mm. than it needs to be? Mm, that's a great question, Pam. That's what keeps me awake at night. I think they make things too difficult for themselves in many ways. One comparing themselves. Paul, the apostle said, you err when you compare yourself one to another. And so this kind of keeping up with the Joneses, I think adult peer pressure is the biggest problem in the homeschool movement. Most homeschool children are very secure, very confident. They don't care, you know, what year they start to read or when they can, you know, jump through that hoop. But their parents are, particularly it's more the moms. The dads tend to be more easygoing about it, but the moms, we moms worry. I think also overcommitting, and that comes out of overcompensating because we want our children to jump higher and run faster because we homeschool and we don't want anyone to think that they're second-class citizens. So we sign them up for underwater basket weaving and Japanese class and on and on and on it goes. And we're dragging them from pillar to post and they're changing costumes and uniforms in the back of speeding SUVs while they're eating out of paper bags. 
because we don't realize that the action in our lives really is going on at home. There's a little four-letter word in homeschooling, home. And if you've ever read any uh, Jean Stratton Porter books, she wrote a precious book called Michael O'Halloran. And I won't go into the whole storyline of it, but there's a little boy in it, and he rebukes a farmer that he becomes friends with because the farmer has always taught his children that the action is in the big city, that everything's happening there, and they haven't created a beautiful home. He hasn't made a beautiful kitchen for his wife. He hasn't created entertainment and activities for his kids to do out in the country where they live that would make their home attractive. And I say to parents, you want your house to be the favorite place for everybody to hang out. You want all the neighborhood kids to love being there, all your children's friends, all your friends. And so we make a mistake when we take our children elsewhere, thinking that other people can do a better job influencing them, other teachers, other co-ops, whatever. And I say to families, primarily stay home. No one can mentor your children better than you, disciple them better. And the bond that's created and the lack of stress that comes from being in your home and getting to stay in your PJs till noon once in a while when you want to. And just the wonderful freedom and flexibility that homeschool brings. Why put yourself under the strain that, you know, all these other activities put on you under, it's like you might as well send them to school if you're going to be under that kind of a schedule and stress. What would you tell a mom who deals with children who lack motivation? Maybe even a child who they've, they've pulled out of school for one reason or another, and now mm-hmm. they're dealing with a child who's lacking motivation. Mm. Well, normally, Pam, I would assume that that child is probably very burned out. They've probably been forced of like a round peg into a square hole for years. And so They see school as something done to them. They see academics as a place of shame and pain and humiliation. And so very often when a child is pulled out of school, I will recommend to the parents that they give that child a year off of formal academics. Let them start their own business. Uh, Raymond Moore wrote a great book called Minding Your Own Business about child entrepreneurship. That's really a fun book. I'd put them to hard manual labor. I would travel. I might take some of the money that you were maybe paying in tuition and go to Europe on the off season and sleep in hostels and let them study the Reformation or the Renaissance or whatever you're studying British lit on location while you eat bread and cheese and, you know, wear backpacks, not, you know, staying at the Ritz, but give that child a complete breather from life as they knew it. So often people pull their kids out of school and think that more school is going to fix a burned out and wounded child but it's not. It's like asking a child who's broken their back to enter a gymnastic, you know, feat. It's just not going to work. So letting them heal and redeveloping your relationship with them. School separates parents and children, and very often you become strangers to your own children. So becoming best friends with your children, reading out loud to them by the hour, not forcing them to read, but reading to them, reading books that they beg you not to stop reading, otherwise you're reading the wrong books. Not things that are good for them in your mind, but books that will really engage them and that you'll cry together and laugh together as you read, books that have stood the test of time. So, And then the other thing, Pam, that I find is a lot of homeschool moms aren't a lot of fun. They're really kind of boring. And some of them tend to be firstborn girls, which are not fun. And so I'll say to them, you know, and very often when I do consult with families, I'll have the dad on with the mom and I'll say, 
So, you know, Susie, would you describe yourself as a fun person? And then you can hear the husband laughing in the background, you know, on the other line. And she'll admit, well, no, that probably wouldn't. And I'm like, okay, so can we, we're going to work together to make your middle name fun. So, you know, and, and the husband will just get such a kick out of it because, honey, I've been telling you that. You know, <laughs> so often, you know, we just, it's just nose to the grindstone from morning till night. And a child who's not motivated is probably not having a lot of fun. And so getting that gift of motivation moving and, you know, having contests and singing while you're doing it and competing and, you know, saying, hey, whoever wins gets to choose what we have for dessert. And, you know, whoever is, comes in last has to run around the block with their underpants on their head and, you know, <laughs> making it fun. Instead of just, I just meet so many homeschoolers that are so boring and they need to lighten up a little bit. Enjoy their kids. Okay. I'm just totally wounded that you're picking <laughs> on non-fun firstborn homeschool mom. <laughs> well, I'm here to tell you there is hope. There is hope. <laughs> you can turn that around. I promise you. So remembering to have a little fun. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I can definitely see that. It's so hard. It's so hard to remember to do that. I don't think I'm a completely non-fun person. I just forget no. to do it. Just get caught I up in the know, day and completely Pam. forget. Well, that's, that's it. I mean, we put so much pressure on ourselves. And what I find is that the children who turn out the best are the parents who are pretty laid back and easygoing. I mean, when you study the, the history of the homeschool movement, you study the families that were following John Holt and Dr. Moore back, you know, before electricity, when we all were starting out in the John Holt crowd, they called that growing without schooling or unschooling. They just taught the families just, you know, surround your kids with great resources, get the screens out of your home, and then you go take a nap, you know, and your children will teach themselves anything they need to know. And of course, the Colfax boys graduated from that philosophy. Three of them went to Harvard on full scholarship. Barnaby Marsh, same thing. Cornell, full scholarship, then had a Fulbright at Oxford. Using a very laid-back approach, letting the child pursue their own interests under parental guidance. That's what the Smithsonian Institute said is the way to create a world-class genius. Let them pursue their own interests, and you just kind of help direct traffic, like, oh, here's a book you might like, or here's you know, a microscope, or here's you know, giving them the raw materials and then letting them feed themselves instead of spoon feeding them. So we would actually probably do more by doing less. That's Oh, well put. Very well put. Yes, ma'am. Well, Carol, I have a pop quiz for you. Are you Tell ready? <laughs> I don't know. From one teacher to another, we have to, we have to do a pop quiz before we go. Great. Okay. Okay. Chocolate or vanilla? Vanilla. Pen or pencil? Hmm. Pen. Talker or listener? Mm, listener. Fiction or nonfiction? Fiction. Cat person or dog person? Dog. Lord of the Rings or Star Wars? Oh, definitely Lord of the Rings. Ocean <laughs> or mountains? Ocean. Essay or project? Project. Carol, where can people find you online? We have a website, caroljoyside.com and Side is spelled in Germany. They don't spell well. S-E-I-D, Carol Joyce Side. And we have all sorts of free things people can listen to. And then we do even cooking videos. You know, I'm really into nutrition and health. So those are on there. And um, then they can download our seminars 
from our web store. So there's lots of lots of goodies on there. All right. Well, thank you so very much for joining me today. This was wonderful. Well, I've loved meeting you. You're a kindred spirit. And don't worry. I just know that fun is going to be in your middle name soon. Thank you. <laughs> God bless you. And there you have it. Episode 18 of the podcast. I don't know about you guys, but I found that one rather convicting. And I have to tell you, since we recorded that podcast a couple of months ago, I really have been trying to look for ways to add a little more joy to our homeschool day as we work together. So maybe just to laugh a little bit more, to play some silly games or, you know, race the kids to the map on the wall if we're going to point out a country and they get the biggest kick out of it. So I really am trying. Well, I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you have a question or a comment or would like to find any of the great books that Carol Joy recommended, you can go to edsnapshots.com forward slash 18. And there you can leave a comment for us. You can leave a rating or review on iTunes by following the link there, or you can find those wonderful books. Thanks so much for joining us today. And until next time, keep on homeschooling.